Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Julie Love. I'm your host. Thank you very much for tuning in. Today we are recording episode 83. Before I introduce my guest tonight, I want to introduce my book, which is called A Gift from Adversity. It's the same title as this podcast, and it's a book about my life and my adversity. The subtitle of this book is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness, and it's available on Amazon. After I published my book, I've gotten a lot of messages. People are sharing about their adversities, and this year I felt very, very strongly compelled to make a platform where people can talk about adversities, but not only that tools that they use to overcome, and the gift that came from it. So let's introduce tonight's guest. Hi, David. Thank you so much for coming in. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Wonderful. So David, can you tell our audience who you are and where you're coming in from, and then what you do, and if you have a website or social media? Of course. My name is David Hernandez. I'm coming from Dallas, Texas. I'm a I'm a mental health caseworker. I work with mental health, like schizophrenia and bipolar. Um, when I'm not doing that, I actually run a podcast. It's a Pokemon Go podcast where we talk about stories and stuff like that. Uh, if you want to find follow me, you can follow me at as the Pokeball Turns podcast on Twitter, and that's really where I'm mostly active. But yeah, I'm excited to be here. I'm not here to talk about Pokemon Go, of course. I'm here to talk about adversity, which I'm excited to kind of dive into. Great. And you're coming in from Texas, um, Dallas, you said? Yes. How is it like over there? Uh, it's the hustle and bustle. Uh, it's always it's, uh, getting busier and packed with people moving here constantly. But, I mean, I enjoy living here and it's home. That's the best way I can put it. I've never been to Texas. So, someday. Uh, as long as you don't come during the summer, you're okay. <laughs> oh, Okay. <laughs> All right, so David, thank you so much again for the introduction. So let's dive into the first question, which is the adversity. So can you tell our audience, what was your adversity? Um, It's tough to really pinpoint it. I know based on what I sent you, it's like a brief snippet because adversity is just so much. It's usually something that blocks you. And the way I had to grow up, I was the youngest at 12. Um, I grew up with my daddy at different mothers. Um, my parents were very absent in my life. You know, of course, it could be worse than that, but it, I grew up alone, basically. And I had to kind of, you know, it's a rough road trying to figure life out at the age of, as young an age, really. And um, I was very quiet, very passive, um, very pessimistic about life. That's probably the bit, if I had to pinpoint that, it's not letting my past dictate my future. Because I always beat myself up over it. I always was hard on myself. Always felt like I had to be the perfect child. And it was a lonely road because I couldn't really go to my mom. My dad was always working. My mom, she had anger problems a lot. She was not really open to really having that kind of son-mother relationship. So it was tough, especially when I was around people who their parents were around or more understanding or, you know, having that more classic parent. A child relationship and it took me a while 
um, growing up eventually, you know, I had to move out. Um, my mom, she was stuck in her ways. It was, she got into an abusive argument with one of her lovers and I was like, I don't want to be there anymore. So that's when I went to college. I moved in, <laughs> had no incentive to my money. <laughs> I had no sense of my name and I was able to, you know, work my way through college and get away from my mom. And eventually I had a, uh, didn't really have a way to find a job after graduating college. I uh, graduated right when the economy was going down back in 2013. So I had to go back to my mom's place and I knew what was waiting there. I knew that it was not going to be a pleasant experience because I know my mother. I grew up the way I knew what she was like. And one thing I always struggled with was trying to pull myself away from being matched up with her. I always felt like the family viewed us as a problem pair almost because I heard my, I heard how my mom spoke about me to other people. She said that, you know, I didn't want to work, that I didn't want to do this and this, that. And I never told her that I knew that, but I overheard the conversations. So eventually it came down to the point to where I'm walking like five, 10 miles, trying to get to job interviews, trying to work, didn't have a job, didn't have transportation. It was rough, you know, and you were told like having a college education was supposed to be a solution in life. And for me, it was nothing. And it was frustrating at that time. Um, fast forward a little bit further, you know, I eventually move out of my mom's place. I do some good stuff in my life. Like I made something of myself in spite of her not being really a part of it. You know, my dad, he couldn't do much. He got kicked out back when I was in high school. So I never really had the chance to, live my own path, if that makes sense. I always lived either my mom's ideal or what people expect or what I thought people expected of me. And that was, that took me a while to kind of get through that. I eventually hit a depression phase to where I didn't feel comfortable living anymore. I felt like this is it. This is life. And it was frustrating because I always felt like life was supposed to be more than that. And I remember it was pain trying to wake up every single day and it's like another day, <laughs> not really. I don't know. It's tough for me to describe. I just remember being very dark at that time. I lived by myself. I was on my own. A lot of my friends had already gotten married. I'm a bachelor. So it was a very lonely road. And then eventually my dad passed. And that was very tough because I always relied on the friends that I did have. But I was the only one who hadn't lost a parent. So I was kind of going down a road that nobody had gone before, but they were there for me though. So I was appreciative of that, but my mom wasn't. My mom refused to come to the funeral. She didn't call me. She didn't talk to me. She didn't come see me. And, you know, I remember the one piece of comfort I had was when I went with my aunt to a concert and she held me close. And it was the first time that I had experienced comfort. And I cried because that's what I really wanted was just comfort for Somebody to kind of tell me that the world wasn't falling. So eventually after my dad passed, I tried to make things work with my mom and she didn't want things to work. And that's the most difficult lesson that we'll get into that later. But eventually it was just for me to tough for her not to want that relationship that I wanted with her. And I eventually tried to learn how to make, make it on this life on my own, really. Um, event and yeah.
So let me go back. First of all, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, you said you had 12 children? Yes, I'm the youngest of 12. Uh, the oldest one is about 65 or 66 or something like that. Wow. Yeah, uh, we didn't grow up together. Let me preface that. Well, I take that back. I grew up with my one of my sisters, and she was a problem child. She always got into trouble and stuff like that. My parents and her were always arguing. But the other ones, um, they didn't like me for whatever reason. At least that's what I was told because my dad back in his past life, he was not the best man. He would like abuse his, he would abuse them. He would abuse the women he was with. Uh, one of them told me that he held a gun to the face of one of them. So that's kind of the man he was at the time. But when I was born, he wasn't that guy anymore. At least not as from what the stories told me. So there was a bit of jealousy from what I understand. So I never grew up with them much. The one time I did see them for most of them was when my dad passed. And that was the first and last time I saw a lot of them. Wow. So let's talk about, I know you, you mentioned a lot. Um, and your mom, like still, she's not in your life she doesn't want to be in your life correct yeah uh, i tried to mend ways but it's a part of any relationship is it takes two people for it to work and the only time she ever wanted me was when she wanted money that's been the entire relationship that i've had with my mom since i became 18 really and for a while that was normal like i didn't know anything different and then I had a friend tell me, like, that's kind of weird. And I never thought about it because for me, it was normal. That's that's what I grew up with. But even now, like, I haven't heard from her since 2019. First of all, David, thank you so much for sharing your life story and adversity and being brave and being honest and vulnerable. And... A lot of times the people who went through extreme abuse and neglect, such as your case, it's very difficult to even talk about it. It's very difficult to even comprehend or like, just like your friend said, that's kind of weird. You know, we don't know the difference between the healthy parenting and then kids relationship versus what we have experienced because we have no comparison to it. And then I, I couldn't even like identify the sexual abuse, domestic violence, like physical abuse that I don't know. Like I, I didn't even know what it was. I, I had no idea until I was 22. Like until like my counselor told me that is called sexual abuse. That is called PTSD. And I had zero idea. So growing up in that difficult situation, were you bullied at school? Were you teased at school? How was your school life when you were having this extremely dysfunctional family life? In elementary, I was bullied a lot, especially because I was very sick growing up. So I couldn't exercise, so I gained weight. And, you know, they made the fat jokes and all that. And I was very sensitive. And my mom didn't want anything to do with that. She said, well, if you weren't so fat, you wouldn't be bullied kind of thing. 
And that pretty much shut me from ever going to her with any problems. So I just took it. That's all I knew how to do was just take it. And I couldn't go to my mom, couldn't go to my dad. And my mom kept me away from the outer family. So that's how it was for her until I was about in middle school. And then that's when I had some more friends around me. I wasn't as alone, which was nice. And things looked up after that. Um, when I went to high school, my mom, she that's when my mom and dad separated when I was in ninth grade. Uh, my mom basically told my dad that she was going to call the cops and say that um, she was going to say that he threatened her with a hammer. And that's what she did. She called the cops. And that's when my dad left. And my mom went to a bit of a party phase. She got very drunk pretty often, drank a lot of alcohol. She would have, I don't know how many times per week, but one time she got into a wreck while de- uh, driving while intoxicated. And that scared me. And that was right when I was around 14 and I couldn't tell her anything. Like nobody can tell her anything. She'd get angry and I always worried about my mom's anger. And you know, I would try to pretend like things weren't like that. I spent a lot of time with my friends because that was solace for me. That was comfort. Didn't have to deal with my mom. And that's how it was for probably most of my high school time. It sounds like a nightmare. It felt like one sometimes. When looking back on it, I'm like, I mean, I... There's not really a world where I could have handled it differently. I was 14 at the time, but, you know, it felt weird trying to be a parent to your parent almost. That's probably the best way I could put it, because I knew what she was doing wasn't the most wise thing. But there was nothing that I could say to stop her. And it's a very weird feeling. And... So first of all, David, I'm so sorry that you had experienced that and you had to survive through that. And then sounds like it's continuing to. And I I don't know. Um, I'm kind of speechless because I feel like the pains that I've experienced um, is coming back to me as well. And you son you mentioned like the normal parenting and then obviously when you go to school when you see in a social setting that you see kids with healthy parents and then when you don't have them like you start to think like why am i not this way and then i remember like when i was a lot younger that i was so jealous of like female friends who had healthy father in a relationship with them. And I used to get so angry. And you mentioned about pessimistic. pessimistic. Yes. In Japanese is kohikanteki. And then um, I was like that too. But how can you blame somebody who had so much of 
adversity and not understanding what was going on. And how would you really describe looking back, like your mental health stage was really growing up, having those kind of environment? Well, to actually, I want to touch on a point real quick. So when you talked about when you looked at, um, when you saw daughters or people with parents, I remember that went through that phase too, to where whenever I'd see a child playing with their parents, I always wanted to be that. And I remember having that same anger, like, why couldn't I have been that kid? Why couldn't I be the one with the smile on the face? And I asked that for a long time, even as we get more into it. But to answer your question, I didn't really, it's tough because I never got a chance to really go through the teenage phase, you know, to be the kind of angry or, you know, not rebellious, you know, the teenage years that people talk about. Because I had to worry about my mom the entire time. So I never really got to chance to experience to really dive into what I was really feeling at the moment. I couldn't even feel comfortable doing it because I couldn't go to my mom. Who would I go to talk to about it? You know, my dad's always, my dad was gone in my life. My mom's getting drunk. I never really got a chance growing up to really look into how growing up affected me. And it took me a while to kind of really come to terms to be willing to go feel actual pain of what it was like going through. So it was a lot of me having to neglect my own needs. And unfortunately, it reflected more later in my life to where I put everybody else ahead of myself, to where I always wanted people's approval. I always wanted to keep the peace. That's always been my role. It always did, and usually to a detriment to myself because I felt like if I didn't demand anything, if I played the very middle ground, people would accept me. People would like me. I wouldn't have to worry about what I grew up with, basically. Yeah, it's very tough. And did you have any social worker, guidance counselor who knew what was going on? No, because my mom told me that they would take me away. So I always had to lie whenever I did those psychological assessments. She would always threaten that they'd either take me away or she would go to Oklahoma and I would never see her again. Oh, my gosh. That was always a threat. So I always faked it. Oh. That is just tough. And how did this mother's neglect and abuse and then your father's like the relationship that you wish that you didn't have that truly you think affected or affecting your adulthood life well it taught me that i didn't know how to process my feelings healthy um i realized that i have a very bad habit of suppressing my feelings something i've been which we'll talk about here in a little bit i've had to work on I've had to come to terms to be accepting of who I am, accepting my story for what it is. You know, 
I don't have the perfect childhood. I never did. I had to go through it as much as I didn't want to. And that was willing to accept where I am was probably more of a difficult part of the journey that I had to kind of come terms with. And it was a painful long one to get to that point. <laughs> May I ask how old you are? I'm 32. I think when you have this very dysfunctional family growing up and then lack of resources about mental health and not knowing what to do, I think it's definitely a fact. It's it's definitely a long-term recovery and a long-term effect. Personally, I'm 46 years old and it's still affecting me. And, you know, interestingly, you said you're not really good at like putting emotion, like you suppress. And that's one of the trauma like, survivors technique that I learned from my counselor that when you are so civilly abused that you basically cut off the feelings to survive. So when I was a kid, when I was extremely getting physically sexually abused, I just escape and I just think about something else. Yeah. And that is what it's like right now. Like say, it's so for instance, one time I was working at Starbucks and then the boss yelled at me and I had no idea why I couldn't sleep for one week and I, I had no idea why I was like having this nightmare again and again and again. And then she said it's just so much of gap between the emotion and event. So I need to rewire my brain eventually. So that's really tough because you are trying to normalize the abuse by numbing yourself and then by not putting yourself and because if you do, you break and then you just cry and then can't move forward, can't go to school. It's tough. Yeah, for me at some point, um, probably more in recent years when I turned around 25, I started having flashbacks. And at first I just thought I was being too hard on myself. Like, eh, like why am I remember this stuff? It's all in the past. And you know, at the time I didn't, like I said, I didn't know that I was suppressing this and they kept getting worse. They kept getting painful to where I couldn't tell. I mean, I could tell it was not reality, but I couldn't control it anymore. I remember one time I was driving, and then that's when it happened. I'm like, crap, I can't. <laughs> you know, I just started going to a flashback of something random. I couldn't remember what it was. And it scared me because it was, I've never had it happen while I was driving. You know, heaven forbid somebody was in front of me. Might not be here talking about today. And that's when I realized that something's not right in here that what I'm doing has worked for now, but you know, I always worried like if I didn't handle it now, you know, what would happen in the future? Because, you know, I work with mental health. I work with people who talk to themselves. I work with people who have anger issues. That's my background. I see where it can lead to if I don't take care of it. And you know, eventually that led me to go seek counseling just because 
I wanted to be well. I wanted to make sure that my past was in the past and that I was mentally healthy. And that was the first time I really come to terms that maybe it's good if I have somebody in here who can, you know, give me some insight, help me kind of process it. And it worked wonders, by the way. So we'll get to that in a little bit, but. Yeah. What kind of flashbacks have you experienced? Uh, so much. Sometimes it'd be something minuscule, like something I'd be embarrassed by. Sometimes it'd be stuff like I remember when I was sleeping on the floor after college and my mom was yelling at me for she wanted to live off government assistance. And when I got a job, she didn't want me to work, basically, because it would affect her government assistance. And, you know, I had bills to pay. I wanted to make something of my life. I was only 23, 24 at the time. And stuff like that. It was just some random stuff. Sometimes it'd be some arguments. I remember my mom and my dad having. It'd be just random. And I just didn't have control of what it was or to calm it down. It just progressively, it progressively got worse as time went on. You know, those flashbacks are worst and especially in like nightmares like i remember like like shrieking in my nightmares in my dreams shrieking and then a lot of it was my father chasing me down and then i eventually get caught and then i eventually get beaten up for like sexual abuse part like i just like had severe nightmares where to the point like i just screaming right and I mean, like I said, I didn't know what it was. I just didn't. I was like, what the heck is this going on? And at first, like I said, I just thought I was just being hard on myself. That's all I thought it was. But then eventually it gets to the point to where like it's affecting your life and you got to be able to deal with it one way or the other. And I wanted to make sure that I dealt with it in a healthy way. Well, Davis, thank you so much again. And then um, before I moved on, my I move on to my second question, which is the tools that you use to overcome. I just want to appreciate you sharing this story because sometimes, as a male, it's really hard to come forward to talk about this yeah. because sometimes. You are expected to be strong, not cry, and toughen up and stuff, right? Right. And usually people don't want to hear about what you're going through. Usually guys are expected to, you know, tough it out, walk it off. That's just how we're raised. And unfortunately, we don't have the benefit of being vulnerable as much as we'd like. So that's what I've learned that. Try to be as honest, try to be more honest. That's something that we'll talk more about in the second question. But me being more honest about where I do come from and what I've had to go through. Because before I really wouldn't open up about it because I just didn't feel right. I always felt like I was an outsider looking in because I was usually always around people who have parents in their lives, who have people who care around them. And for me, that was a foreign concept for so long. It's kind of the oddball kind of out, if that makes sense. 
So first of all, I really want to share my thought with you about the parenting, which I wrote on my book, A Gift from Adversity. Mm -hmm. I think the parenting is one of the most important jobs in the world. However, it's one of the most not credible license that you get because if you become if you want to treat somebody and become a doctor you go to school and extensive training and then pass the board exams same as attorney but the parenting there are so much ethical things and then the financial things it's just so hard that anyone can become a parent and then it just there's no prerequisite to be a parent. And that's really the stem comes from because obviously not everyone's perfect. And my parents included, they weren't perfect. And then they were young and there was no monitor. There's no screening. Oh, now you have this problem. You cannot have a child. You have to fix yourself first to be a parent. There was nothing like that. There's nothing like that. So that's kind of my take on it. So anyone can become a parent and without any training or ethical understanding and nobody will screen it. So the child become a victim so often of abusive parents because there's no screening and you know you just don't know like when you are growing up in the abusive household mm-hmm. you don't even know you are in it and you know obviously know how to escape from it because that's where you live and that's like the worst situation that you can ever imagine and that's something that helped with the healing um was to realize that my mom and my dad, they are human. You know, they're not perfect. Um, in spite of all the faults they did have, I believe they did the best they could. Now, was it perfect? Obviously not. But that's the hope that, you know, whenever I get that chance, if I get that chance, I could hopefully do better, do something, provide that the things that I lacked growing up. And that's helped me kind of find closure in regards to what my parents did in regards to my life. It's helped me kind of heal, helped me to kind of used, which we'll get into here a little bit later, you know, that experiences as a strength. And yeah. Yeah. So let's move on to question number two. Uh, we You kind of mentioned a little tools, but I have to say, this is my episode 83. Each guest who came to this podcast from all over the world, they have shared so many unique tools that you, they use to overcome the challenges and adversities. So, David, what would you say the tools that you used that was significantly helpful to your adversity? One of the first things that I had to change, and this is before um, I did counseling, I had to change my mindset. Um, so I always, I'm sure you probably could relate, you know, when you grow up from that type of environment, 
you kind of live with something over your shoulder to where you're always waiting for something to go wrong. Like it's always haunting you. And I lived that way for a while after, I don't know how long, like live waiting for something bad to happen because that's how it was growing up. Something good happens, just give it a minute. It'll go wrong. And that's part of it's the trauma. That's part of what normal was for me. It took me a while to kind of accept that it's okay for things not to be wrong. It's okay for things to be stable. That's really what it is. It's the fear of stability because growing up, when you grow into an unstable environment, you're used to that. And I talked to, um, I used to go to this Bible study. I talked with my friend, his name was Paul. And I talked to him about this, like, dude, I'm waiting for something to go wrong because there's nothing had gone wrong in about six to seven months. And it was weird. And, you know, he shared his insight saying, like, it's okay for things to be okay. That's kind of what he said. And I took that to heart to where, like, just because things are going okay right now doesn't mean that they're going to go bad. Hope that makes sense. That was one of the big things I had to learn because otherwise I would probably self-destruct it and screw things up because I need things to go wrong kind of thing. The other thing is, like I said, I changed the mindset. I had a lot of negative thinking. I didn't believe in myself. I didn't believe that anything was really capable. I thought that what had I achieved with what little that I had to grasp? You know, yes, it was fine, but, you know, I was content. And in some ways that's okay, but in other ways it's inhibiting to where I'm not living to what I'm capable of. And I remember I had to read a blog site to start off. It was a Mark and something i'm uh, blanking on the name at the moment but they just send positive quotes every single day in a thing and i would read it and this is during my depression phase to where i didn't feel like life was dragging on and i didn't want (laughs) to living every day was tough so i would always read that on my bus ride to work every morning i would watch a youtube video i would just grasp at anything to just feel something because at that point I was just feeling numb and I needed just something to give me hope. And, you know, I am a Christian, but the thing is that because of my way I was brought up, I had a very skewed view of how God views humanity to where I was using religion to punish myself. And basically like whenever I screwed up, I'm saying like, that's God's punishment towards me. Instead of just realizing that, hey, I'm human, I'll make mistakes kind of thing. So I would, every morning when I was going through that phase, I would watch a YouTube video, inspirational one, just something to kind of give me something to kind of bite into. On the way to work, I would read the blog post every single day just to kind of get there. And it wasn't overnight. This took years upon years of just trying to get to that point. And I'm getting to this because trying to get to the point to where you're healthy, to where your trauma is used for something better, takes time. You know, I went through 17, uh, God knows how many years of living with my mom and my dad. And I can't expect that to be fixed in two weeks. It's a process. So I always had like quotes. I love quotes. 
Um, I always have music. I'm very, I have a motivation playlist that I listen to, to whenever I feel down, I listen to it so I can kind of help process why I'm feeling down. Um, eventually I went to counseling. Counseling has worked wonders. Um, I always recommend it. I know it takes a while to find somebody you really click with, but when you do, it's life-changing. I got to share a lot of the stuff that I held in. The flashbacks disappeared. He encouraged journaling and then he gave me an emotional wheel. And basically what he encouraged me to do was if I ever had some kind of, any kind of feeling, like if I was feeling down, anxious, whatever have you, I get the journal out and then I get the emotional wheel out. And what the emotional wheel is, it has the broad emotions on one outer circle and then it breaks it down into smaller words. And you go like, oh, I feel like this, but more like this. And you keep kind of going. I think it's three levels. And that way you can kind of get down to the root of what you really are feeling. Because I was numb for so long, I didn't know what it was like to feel something. Like, for me, okay was a very broad range to where I'm generally happy to world's kind of going to crap. So he helped me kind of narrow it down. And that was just a huge life changer just for me to be able to gain insight to what I was really feeling, why I'm feeling that way. And it really helped me kind of build on top of that to kind of learn how to work through that, if that makes sense. I think those three are probably the big changes or big tools that I've learned over time to turn my past into something good. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And sometimes that you mentioned the counselor, like it's really hard. Like for me, it's really, really hard to find somebody that I can click. And I don't know, it's just sometimes it's a nightmare itself. Cause like sometimes like, you know, when you try to open up and then they are not really listening yeah. I had a counselor fell us fell on sleep like over the phone. I had yeah. to wake up. It was like really bad. But anyways, um, yeah. yeah, it's just like I feel a lot of counselors, except like a few, like are very wealthy and very um, privileged to be able to go to college and their master's degrees and support from the parents and. Oftentimes, they don't really understand to be a homeless and then be raped or abused. And then I just had this huge trust issues of, like, why are you talking to me like that? Like, like you have no idea what I went through. So I'm glad that you found somebody who you were able to trust in them. Get something out. And that's the hardest part is trying to... That's part of the reason why I felt like an outcast because I didn't really have anybody to talk to about what I'd gone through. I had one friend and he was the closest friend I had because we kind of had similar backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I encourage counseling, but like I said, like you said, counselors kind of, you don't know what you're going to get. It takes a while and sometimes you may not find that person, but maybe it's a friend you can kind of lean on. And my point being, is just, you got to have that person to where you're not doing it alone because, you know, for people like, you know, maybe even yourself as well, based on what I know about you and myself, we've done it alone for so long. We're good at that. 
but having somebody else come in and kind of walk through the pain and stuff like that is just invaluable and probably definitely a very big tool to find if you're lucky enough to find somebody like that. Yes. How was um, journaling? How, how did it help you? It helped to where eventually I would feel something. It would affect my mood all the time, and I didn't know why. It was just really not understanding why I was feeling that way. The journaling helped not only pour it out, especially because he encouraged writing it. He said, don't type it because it doesn't mean as much when you actually put it pen to paper. So it helped in regards to just me getting my emotions out to where I had a way to vent out what I was feeling, whether it be anger, sadness, uh, whatever have you, and be able to really denominate, I cannot say that word, the anonymous part about it to where nobody has to read the, what you write unless you happen to give it to somebody. But for me, I could write down what I genuinely felt. I could be honest. I could be, I could say whatever the hell I want because nobody's going to ever read it unless I really give them permission to read it kind of thing. So it was that willingness to be able to bring my barriers down that I've had built up for so long to put it on pen and paper to get process the emotions, to process why I'm feeling this way. What did I feel like going through this process or going through that moment, you know, figuring out the how, the why, the, you know, what can we do kind of moving forward? At least that's how I treated it. That helped so much because it helped get it out. It helped me not to hold it in. And be able to kind of learn and be more honest, like I said, to become more honest with who I was. That's really what it helped me do, to embrace my past, to embrace who I am now and embrace the potential that I had and change my mindset to who I could be. Well, thank you so much for sharing that, David. I really appreciate it. Um, um, Before I ask you the last question i want to share it with you it's in my book but um my counselor amanda sloan that i stuck with for about six years she really changed me and when i first went to her i really didn't want to continue but she said Mm, sorry Jerry, i just want to let you know this is at the door as i was leaving jerry I just want to let you know that I didn't become a counselor because I read a lot of books, but because also I was sexually abused by my uncle. Mm-hmm. So that really gave me not hope, but like comfort that maybe she could help me. So I really stuck with her for a long time so it's it's hard journey but sometimes you know figuring out like you said by yourself is really tough because i had no idea i had no idea why i was running away i was hiding i was having panic attack i had no idea so I'm happy that you are to the point that you are able to eloquently put words to what happened to you and then be able to share it with others. 
Yeah, and that's kind of why I wanted to come on the podcast, partly because this is part healing, but partly because in case somebody is listening and they're going through it, to kind of give them hope that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, like I said, I didn't have that growing up. It makes a huge difference when you at least see somebody who's been through whatever have you, who knows what it's like to grow up in a broken home, in your case, knows what it's like to be sexually abused like. It helps to kind of give an idea of what can come out of the crappy situation. And like I said, growing up, I didn't have much hope. I didn't have somebody to look up to. And over time, you know, I've been able to kind of become that person that I didn't have in a way and hopefully be able to inspire others to hopefully maybe be honest with themselves, to be upfront, to come to terms with what they had to go through and realize that, hey, you're not alone. We all have we all have our baggage and some of us have it more than others. But you're definitely not alone. Thank you so much for sharing that. So my last question, David, is a gift that came from the adversity. So what would you say a gift that came from your adversity? One of it's, uh, I have a lot of patience with people. That allows me to be able to hear people out. Like I'll sit and listen to talk to people for hours upon hours on end about their problems. Some of it in school, sometimes it's serious. And it allows me to kind of hear because I know what it's like to go through it alone. And I don't want anybody who's around me to ever go through that. Uh, that's why I always ask, like, I ask them, like, hey, how are you doing? I try to remember something about their day because you never know what goes on behind closed doors. You never know what goes on behind a smile. You know, you always hear about people who commit suicides. Like, he always seemed, he or she always seemed happy. You always hear that from people who commit suicide. It's because you get so good at putting an act that people don't think of nothing. And I always strive to be that person to where if somebody's world's falling apart, that they could come to me. I may not have all the answers. I probably won't have all the answers. I wish I did, but I always strive to be that support to everybody who I meet, everybody I work with everybody interact with friends, family, whoever it may be. That's who I always strive to become as a man. The other thing it has given me over time is just one of the quotes that when I first started this journey, um, paraphrasing, it was, I may lose the fight, but you're going to know you're in a fight. And that kind of inspired me to where like life's like, what did I do wrong? I was just born. I didn't do, I haven't broken any laws. I haven't hurt anybody intentionally. You know, what did I do to really deserve how I was brought up? And, you know, I was just dealt a bad hand. Some of us are. We're dealt with shitty hands to, and we're expected to make it work. And for me, that quote, kind of inspired me to approach life in a different way to where I'm no longer, well, I try not to be scared of life. I try not to be scared of my past or be scared of what I had to go through. Like 
yeah, I'll get knocked down, but I'm going to get back up. And I'm going to keep fighting until it's time for me to go. And just giving me that inspiration to where, like, I mean, if, like, I'm going to fight for the rest of what I have remaining on this earth. It's going to be a battle. I'm not going to, I'm going to get knocked down, but I'll keep getting back up. And that's how I try to approach life nowadays. I try to approach it that I'm capable of so much more. I've been through a lot. I've been through so much to get to this point. And I'm not going to let anything stop me. Anything to hold me back. And that's why I do what I do. That's why I did the podcast, because I wanted to have a creative outlet. I wanted to be able to share people's stories in different ways. Not like this, but just in a different way. I wanted to be able to listen to people, experience things. Instead of being scared of life, I'm taking the fight to life. And we'll see how far it takes me. Instead of looking towards the future of dread, I look forward to it with excitement, with a little bit of anxiety. Just a little bit. What's the quotation again? Oh, I can't remember it word for word. It's just like, I may get knocked down, but you'll know that I'm in a fight. Or I may lose the fight, but you'll know that I'm in a fight or something like that. It's just the idea that I'm not going to give back up. Or I'm not going to give up kind of thing. I like that. Yeah. I did too. And that's why I always remember it whenever I feel down. To always get myself back into the game or fight and just keep going. Yeah. I feel like the measurement and the biases and the social pressures of like, you know, you being perfect or this is the way that family is supposed to be. This is the perfect life. These are the pressures that we don't know too much, but sub subconsciously we were programmed to and that sometimes is a failure is the comparison to the propaganda or biases that was implemented subconsciously i was raised in japan and you were raised in america mm-hmm. but we have this like weird like a perfect family picture I don't know what it is from, like Hollywood movie or whatever. But then if you if you feel like you're failing, sometimes you have to measure whether it's really your failure or something that you were put on that the comparison is making you look like a failure when you're not. So I really like the quotes because Sometimes I feel defeated. Sometimes I feel like I'm losing. And sometimes I feel like I'm winning. But these are like a measurement that I don't know where the comparison is coming from. And imperfection is completely okay. And then you trying to not give up and wake up for another day, that's enough. And just get through the day. And then do whatever it takes to go through what you went through that's maybe affecting you. 
that is completely okay. You are not losing and then you are not going to give up. But I just wanted to share that with you. I appreciate it. And yeah, just, I mean, just keep fighting. That's the best thing I could say. It's just like the world will knock you down. And that's kind of the part of the thing that kept me going. I mean, it's like the world's already tried to knock me down with, I mean, not to do anything. At least let me try to fight back. And lets me see how far I can go with it. And yeah, I mean, I think that's what's given me hope. That's what's given me purpose in life. It's just the willingness to be able to use what I've gone through in a way to where I can inspire others, whatever that looks like. It's part of me kind of have to figure out, like I said, I haven't written a book like you have, but I've always liked the idea of writing and be able to spread your message to other people that way. That's why I've come to realize that I love reading. You know, I read motivational books, but I also like reading autobiographies because you get to hear about the behind the scenes of what people you looked up to had to go through. And it's amazing to see some of the stuff they had to do. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, David, for being um, a gift from adversity. Before I let you go, if you know, or if somebody is actually listening to a podcast in the future or now, who are going through the same adversity that you went through, what's your biggest advice that you can give? Well, first I found the quote, if I can say it real quick. So the quote that I was always referring to, I went and looked up my Instagram real quick. You may kick my butt. Um, I didn't know if I can curse on here or not, so I just said butt. But you're going to know you were in a fight. That was the quote. And that, like I said, goes back to like, you may get we you may kick my butt, you may knock me down, but I'm gonna <laughs> we're gonna scrap a little bit for lack of a better term. But anyway, I'm sorry. Just wanted to share the quote real quick. Well, thank you so much. Yes. And um no matter what you're going through, at the end of the day, your mind is the one that can beat you up more than the physical, sexual any abuse because that is something that's out of control but then especially when you're a child but then how can we help other people or help ourselves much faster than then what you and i sacrificed and then got really lost for not having resources and lack of understanding of the mental health so I hope that our conversation can help navigate through somebody's adversity. And I really hope that you and I sharing this time together today can maybe lift up somebody's soul and give them some tools and hope. Without a doubt, just keep fighting, man. And, you know, don't try to live up to what you think people should expect of you or what you think you should be doing. Realize where you're at. Part of that's accepting your past and be proud of who you are. Be proud of how far you've come because unfortunately there's a lot of people who don't make it. And there's, that's the real gift that you get from adversity. The ability to be able to see another day, the ability to be able to spread the gift of hope to other people. Cause that's really what we're doing. 
is providing help to people who may not have it. Well, thank you again, David. So that this is it for episode 83 for a gift from adversity. Thank you so much, everyone, for your support. And we have more exciting guests coming from all over the world. And I can't thank everybody enough for the support. And have a wonderful night. See you, bye.